The reason I showed that is because you're seeing prophecy fulfilled. Every single one of those young people you saw up there are Jews, and they have the right of return, all all. And they have to actually take a DNA test to prove that they're Jews. And what, pro- what prophecy is being fulfilled is God said in Ezekiel 38 and also in Ezekiel 38, 38, 12, 39, 25, he said that after the Jews were spread throughout the entire world, God would bring them back. And that's what we call a messianic congregation in Israel. That huge group you saw are all Christian, Bible-believing Jews. And every single one of those young people you saw standing up there are in the military. In Israel, everyone has to serve in the military when you graduate from high school. Male or female, you serve in the military. And that one... And they've all become believers. The one young girl, I don't know if you notice in the back, uh, right behind the girl who was singing, uh, she was actually mortally wounded. Not mortally, because she'd be dead. She was seriously wounded in combat. And as a matter of fact, she was out there alone. And she was, <laughs> the thing that's interesting is she is a famous Israeli pop star. And she was all involved in the world and all the things of the world. And when she said she always believed in God, but it was just, you know, God without having Jesus Christ. And when she was wounded, she was laying there, and she was realizing, I'm going to die. And she said, I don't have any peace. I thought my God would give me peace. She woke up after being in a coma for a number of days, and her mother was there, and she signaled to her mother, because she had a ventilator, she couldn't talk, for her mother to bring her a little pad. And her mother brought her the pad, and she wrote on it, forgive me. And she wasn't talking to her mother, she was talking about all of her sin. And she became a dynamic Christian. Every one of those young people are dy- dynamic Christians. I mean, can you imagine? We're seeing prophecy fulfilled right before our eyes. And so we have to understand, as Scripture says, the time is at hand. The time is short. And you and I have a responsibility as believers to be sharing our faith with everyone we know, with everyone we come in contact with. Christianity isn't just some belief that we have. It isn't just some philosophy or some you know, way of religion that we follow. It is the way, it is truth, and it is life. And no one goes to heaven, no one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. And so we have to, I mean, these young people are sharing their faith in a a background where it's not very well received. And yet more and more and more people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. It's absolutely amazing. So I wanted to share that with you. And you can go online, it's called... um, messianic or jewish worship music and uh they have albums and vi and i can sit all night and listen to them and it's a good way to learn hebrew because they're singing in hebrew and they have the hebrew words of course it goes this way with the hebrew and underneath it it has the english translation and uh they're just great anyway uh open your bibles with me to numbers chapter 12 it kind of goes along with what we'll be talking about today as well Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the way that you so lavishly pour good gifts upon us, the gift of salvation, the gift of eternal life. 
and just the peace and joy that we can have in you. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that your Holy Spirit would fall upon us this morning, that we, we would not only sense and know your presence, but we would be encouraged in all your ways to follow you and to do your will. And we ask and, praise all, and, and pray for all this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And I just want to remind you that um, there's a sign-up sheet out there, and um, this coming Friday we're going to be having a discussion group. And it's going to be awesome. Bring something, to, to dish to pass, not a dish, just bring some kind of a treat to pass, whatever you want to bring. Now let me tell you what I like. No, I'm just joking. But just bring something to share. We're meeting downstairs, and it's just a chance for you to ask questions. A lot of people have questions about their faith and uh, so we'll be there to answer any questions that you might have through Scripture. And it's going to be discussion. Maybe others in the group would have a better answer. I'm sure they would. And we're just going to have a great sharing time. And also the sign-up sheet. Guys, I know we haven't had a men's breakfast, breakfast for a while. Sign-up sheet's out there. Put your name on it so I can know. Here's something else that's cool. On February 20th, 2011... Pastor Frank Jr. preached his first sermon here as a preaching pastor at Brian Calvert Chapel. That's nine years ago. He's starting his 10th year of ministry here. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> Amen. Um, one of the things we're going to find out in looking at this portion is that Moses was... Scripture is going to tell us the most humble man in the world. But we have to realize Moses wasn't always humble. As a matter of fact, when Moses grew up, and he grew up in the courts of Egypt, and he was, you know, he was the top dog there. And uh, so he found out you know, that his people were being oppressed. And we know the whole account. He went out there, and he saw someone beating one of the Jews, and so he killed the guy, an Egyptian, and he had to flee. But he was a very prideful man. And he was forced to flee into the wilderness because of the fact that he killed one of the Egyptian soldiers, soldiers, and it was found out. So he had to take off. He spent 40 years in the backside of the desert of Midian to be humbled by God. And it wasn't until God humbled him that he was able to be used of the Lord. Being humbled before the, God, before the Lord our God is so important. And for those of us that are a little bit older, I know we have some birthdays, Moses started his ministry in leading the people of Israel uh, you know, out of Egypt at 80. So if you're getting older, don't think you're, you're done. Hey, we're just beginning, right? Okay. Numbers chapter 12, <clears throat> starting with verse 1. Then Miriam, these are Moses' uh, sister and brother. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. So they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. And as I mentioned last week, it doesn't mean like the Lord is like, Oh, wow, I heard that. He hears everything. And it's just making the point. He heard it. Now, the man Moses was very humble, listen to this, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. So when I say he was the most humble man in the world, Scripture backs it up. 
Verse 4. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. So the three came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood uh, in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam. He said, Come here. He was taking them to the woodshed. And you younger people have no idea what I mean when I said being taken to the woodshed. You older people do know what I mean. And um, they both went forward, and this is uh, Miriam and Aaron. Then he said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against Moses, my, or speak against my servant Moses? So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them, and he departed. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous, as white as snow. Then Aaron turned toward Miriam, and there she was, a leper. So Aaron said to Moses, O my Lord, please do not lay this sin against us, in which, you have, in which we have done foolishly, in which we have sinned. Now, one of the things we see here is right away, uh, Aaron recognizes his sin. Right away, he confesses. There's a lesson in that, because so often we try to just lay our sin aside. Well, the Lord understands. No, no, no. He openly just confessed of his sin. Now, moving on from there, verse 12. And, and uh, so Aaron is talking to Moses, Please do not let her be as one dead whose flesh is half consumed when he comes out of his mother's womb. So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, Please heal her, O God, I pray. There's something beautiful right there. Because... As the New Testament tells us, we're not heard by our many words. It's by the prayer of our heart. You know, Moses didn't say, all right, Aaron and Miriam, let me pray. He just said, Lord, heal her. <laughs> that was his prayer. It was from his heart. Lord, heal her. And that's the thing we have to understand. We can take everything to the Lord in prayer, and it doesn't have to be some kind of dramatic presentation. Just make your request known to the Lord, and he hears you. It's absolutely awesome, you know, the way our God is. Now, verse 14, Then the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, I know a lot of you fathers do that all the time, but that was um, a custom at that time that a father would do to any child who had dishonored the family. And um, so if her father had spit in her face, would she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut out of the camp seven days, and afterwards she may be received again. So Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days, and the people did not journey till Miriam uh, was brought in again. And afterwards the people moved to Hezeroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. Amazing portion of Scripture. So many lessons that we can learn in here. Now, the Ethiopian woman that Moses married would have been a black African woman. And somehow this caused Aaron and Miriam to think that they were just as good as Moses. Hasn't, hasn't the Lord also spoken through us? But the thing we have to realize when we look at this portion of Scripture is prejudice. 
Distinguishing the worth of a person by skin color or ethnicity is always and continues to be a very serious sin. It's not just a a bad attitude. It's not just a wrong understanding. It is sin. Now, think about this. To determine ourselves as being better than someone else because of our own attitudes of, of what we think is better or not better is putting us in the place of God. Who are we to determine that we're better than anyone else? Think of the pride that's involved in that. And that's why it is such a serious sin because there's one God and there are, there are just one human race, one people. And that's the reason you've heard me say this before and you might think it's kind of silly, but I, th- I take it very seriously. You know how when you're filling out applications or forms and it says on their race, you know what I write? Human? No, I'm serious. There's only one race. I mean, I don't want to get all into it. It goes back to Charles Darwin and his theory of evolution, and he, he really had a bad attitude towards people of different races, thinking they were a little bit less, they were less involved, less involved uh, than, the, than the white person. So it's a serious sin. Now, it's assumed that Zipporah, uh, the Midianite, Moses' first wife, was dead. You know, because you wonder, why was he marrying another woman? Well, probably his first wife was dead. Well, let me mention this, too. It doesn't mean that Moses just took a trip from the wilderness and went to Ethiopia to find a wife. What you have to understand is, remember the mixed multitude that left with Moses? Remember that? Well, they would have been slaves from all over the world, including Africa. So this would have been a woman that was with them and probably distinguished herself as being a very faithful you know, person to God. And that's why Moses was attracted to her. And um, in Exodus 18.2, it's the last time we hear of Miriam, and that's when her father brought her back to Moses. Now, if you go back, if you take notes, in Exodus 4.25... Remember, she called Moses a bloody bridegroom because here God was calling Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And one of the requirements to be a child of God, for the the males anyway, is they needed to be circumcised. And so God was very angry with Moses because his two sons were not circumcised. And so in the Lord's anger, you know, it was very serious coming against them then Miriam, she went and she took a flintstone and she circumcised her two sons. What's that? What? Zipporah. Zipporah. Miriam is his sister. Now, see, it's good. That's why I have a wife. She keeps me on track. Miriam is his sister. Zipporah was his wife. I'm talking about Zipporah now, who was his first wife. Sorry. But anyway, Zipporah was so angry that she called, uh, you know, Moses a, a, a you know, a bridegroom of blood. And so Moses just did the right thing, and he said, why don't you go home to your dad? He really did. And she did. <laughs> and so at, in, in um, Exodus 18.2, her father brings Zipporah back to Moses. That's the last we hear of her. So we're quite certain that she had uh, died, and that's when Moses took uh, a second wife. Now, Think about this. On top of their prejudice, they were likely thinking, aren't we the older siblings? Miriam was the oldest, Aaron the second, 
and then you had Moses. And so they're probably thinking, aren't we? And, and think about what Miriam was uh, probably thinking, what was going through her head. Aren't I the one that took Moses when he was a baby and put him in the bulrushes, you know, in the reeds where uh, the Pharaoh's daughter would come out to bathe? Aren't I the one who took him there and watched to make sure it was okay? And then after she took the baby, aren't I the one who went to Pharaoh's daughter and said, hey, you know what, do you want me to go and get one of the uh, Israeli women who might be able to nurse this baby for you? And of course she did. And so Moses was taken back to his own mother for two years until he was weaned. And, um, you know, pretty awesome stuff that we find here. So she's probably thinking, wow, you know, look at all I've done. Aren't I as good as Moses? Can't God use me as, well, as much as he does Moses? I'm the older sister. And, of course, Aaron was probably thinking the same thing. I'm the older brother. Why can't God use me? And so the thing we see here is that somehow their, their resentment had been festering for who knows how long. You follow what I'm saying? Well, they were jealous of Moses. Here Moses is being used so greatly by God, and they're thinking, we're the older ones. Aren't we the ones more used? Uh, you know, we're used of God too. Why, why doesn't God also use us? You know, we can speak for the people. Uh, you know, t- we can speak for God to the people as much as Moses did. And one of the things we have to realize is that it's so easy for us to allow pride to prevent us from having a right attitude towards others. Think about this. What if the Lord used you for some great ministry, for, for some great work of God? And then he turned around and wanted to use someone else. Would you get jealous? Well, why can't God use me? I can do it just as well as that person. Well, no, if we're humble before the Lord, if the Lord wants to use this person this time and the Lord wants to use this person the next time, praise God. Isn't it all the work of ministry? Isn't it all the work of the Lord? Why should we ever be prideful? What does Scripture tell us? Pride comes before what? The fall. Pride will always pull you down. And we even see that sometimes in churches. Thankfully, we don't see it in our fellowship. But in some churches, you'll have, you, you do, you have people who say, well, I, I, I can be used as much as the pastor. And they feel that they have a special anointing from God to keep the pastor humble and in his place. And the reality is that the pastor isn't used of God because he's some superior person and just so unbelievably spiritual. A pastor is used of God in leading a fellowship for one reason. He's called. That's it. He's called. Because God calls, he also equips and he equips that the pastor might lead the flock as he follows the Lord. And so there's so many lessons that we can learn in this. And so we always have to remember that God is capable of leading us in our individual lives. He's capable of leading us as a church, as a fellowship. But in order for God to lead, what do we have to do? What do we have to do? Follow. Where he leads I will follow. We, you know, we sing that song. So we have to be willing to follow. Where's God leading us? You know, it might not be to some distant nation in order to be a missionary. God might be leading you across the street. 
He might be leading you to your next-door neighbor. He might be leading you to someone downtown. Who knows where the Lord is leading you? You just have to be willing to go. Now, God made it clear in this portion here that he spoke to Moses differently than he did anyone else. In fact, in that portion we just read, uh, verses uh, 7 through 8, and, he, and the Lord said, how do I speak to my prophets? Through dreams and visions. But not so with Moses. I speak to Moses face to face. As one man speaks to a friend. He sees my form. How amazing, you know, is that. And yet, we're told in Scripture, one greater than Moses was coming. We find that in Deuteronomy 18, 17 through 19. And we find in Matthew 12, 6 and uh, Matthew 12, 42, that even greater than the prophets was Jesus Christ. So one greater than Moses did come into the world. One greater than all the prophets did come into the world, and his name is Jesus. Because here's the point. A prophet only comes to speak the will of God to the people. Christ was able to speak directly to the people. A prophet can only tell others the, you know, the things of God and his word. And, and, but Jesus came to bring salvation. He came to lead people back to a relationship with God through himself, through his sacrifice on the cross. For all have sinned, Scripture tells us, and fall short of the glory of God. But the free gift of God is what? Salvation through Jesus Christ. It's free. It doesn't cost us anything. We just have to accept it. Because none of us are capable of dying for our own sins because we're sinners. And how does a sinner die for his own sin? But there was one who came into this world who was sinless. His name is Jesus Christ. And he had no sin at all. And he willingly put his life down for you and I that he would be the perfect lamb of God, the one who would sacrifice himself to take away all sin. And what a beautiful thing that is, because I know probably most of you could write all your sins on a little you know, card like that. I'm joking. You know, we'd need tablets upon tablets upon tablets. But the reality is, I think all of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we understand and realize we are sinners. And the wage of sin is... Death. It's not talking about our physical death. We're all going to die, barring the rapture. But it's talking about the fact that we are dead spiritually. Sin separates us from God. And so we have to understand that there is only one way we can come back into relationship with God, and that is if our sins are forgiven. And the only one who can, who can forgive our sin is Jesus Christ. And the only way we can receive the forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ is if we ask him to, Lord, forgive me, a sinner. It's as simple as that, and he, he that quickly and simply does it. He forgives us. It's absolutely amazing. Now, as far as Miriam being struck with leprosy, leprosy made a person unclean. They could not be around the camp of Israel. They were unclean. And it was always analogous to sin. Leprosy was always analogous to sin. And what they considered was the fact that the leprosy made the sin known. So it was hidden sin that became known. 
And so who knows how long Aaron and Miriam had held this sin within, this sin of pride, this sin of resentment, you know, this sin of, of you know, jealousy against their brother Moses. Who knows how long? Now it's finally come out, and it was manifested to her in what we call leprosy. So it's wonderful that um, right off, Aaron recognizes that his sister needs a cleansing that can only come from God. He knew there was no human way to cleanse her. The cleansing could only come from God Almighty. And so he goes right to his brother. And he said, intercede, pray for us. Pray for our sister. And he did. Lord, heal her. (laughs) And so we have to realize the importance of recognizing that we're sinners. Because there's no way we can receive forgiveness for sin until we confess that we are sinners. And when we have areas of our life that separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, and we all know what that is in the different times that it's happened, then we have to cry out to God, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord, a sinner. Bring me back into relationship with you. And he most assuredly does. You know, one of the things that's interesting in Numbers chapter 32 and verse 23, it says, but if you do not do so, then take note. Listen to this. You have sinned against the Lord, and this is the point I'm, trying to, I'm making here. And be sure your sin will find you out. And in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, it says the same thing. Be sure your sin will find you out. So here's, here's the thing. Before our sin finds us out, we should be running to the Lord and ask him to forgive us. You don't have to go to another person. You don't have to stand up in front of a group. You need to get on your knees before the Lord and say, God, forgive me. And he does. Because if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's what God's promise is. But there is a prerequisite to this kind of forgiveness and cleansing, and that is confessing. Lord, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. You know, it's a wonderful thing to know that God doesn't cleanse us and forgive us partially, but he cleanses us and forgives us fully. It's a wonderful thing to know that there isn't some level of sin that you've attained to that cannot be forgiven. It doesn't make any difference where you are, he'll forgive you. You know, there's an old song, Vi would remember the name of it, she's the music girl. I think it goes back to the 70s or 80s. I don't care where you've been sleeping, I don't care what you've done. Who was who that? Yes, I see Pastor Frank Jr. It's going on 10 years, he's got all that down now. Oh, and I want you to know something. Even though Frank's starting his 10th year of ministry, there's no pardon for me. (laughs) He's got to (laughs) stay. But that's what Don Francisco's uh, song was. It doesn't make any difference what you've been doing. God's there to forgive you because he is love. His very nature is that of love. And because of Miriam's pride and rebellion, she was struck, as we just read about. And some people would ask... Well, what about Aaron? How comes Miriam took the blunt of it and had leprosy and Aaron didn't? Why? Well, number one is because Aaron was the high priest. 
And so it wasn't a, uh, a matter of God winking at Aaron's sin. It was a matter of God honoring the position that he was called to. And number two, Aaron recognized he was a sinner, and he confessed. How many times did he say, we have sinned, we have done this, we have done that? He knew he was part of this, and he loved his sister, and so her coming down with leprosy also affected him. Now, according to what I quoted to you from 1 John 1, 9, when we confess our sin, forgiveness is immediate. Forgiveness is immediate. You know, so many people think that they have to go through some kind of, um, you know, we have to beat ourselves all up. We have to go through some kind of penance in order to be forgiven. That's not so. You know, the Lord doesn't say, well, if you confess your sins and you walk barefoot in the snow for 400 miles, you'll be forgiven. The Lord doesn't say anything like that. The Lord says, you confess your sin, that's it. You're forgiven. If you really are confessing from your heart. But even though his forgiveness is immediate, oftentimes um, the result of our sin in our heart lasts for a while. The guilt and the shame of our sin lasts for a while in our heart. Even though we know we're forgiven immediately. And I think that can be a good thing. Because it encourages us to change. It encourages us to change. You know... Remember, um, Peter said to the Lord, how many times do we have to forgive someone? Up to seven? He was being very magnanimous. Magnanimous. Did I say that right? Magnanimous. There we go. He was being very magnanimous. And, you know, because according to the Jewish faith, you only had to forgive three times. So he said, can we forgive seven times? And Jesus said, no, 70 times seven. And so what he was talking about, as often as someone, you know, asks your forgiveness, you're to forgive them. Well, how much more so with the Lord? We can ask the Lord over and over, forgive us, forgive us, forgive us. But he desires for us to change. And so even though there might be areas of our life that we need forgiveness in in a continuous way, the Lord desires for us to come to a place where we have victory over that area. And all of us could give testimony, uh, you know, testimony of areas of our lives that we struggled with and struggled with and struggled with, and then God gave the victory. It's absolutely amazing. I mean, I can think of many things in my life. I'm so thankful the Lord finally gave me the victory, things we all struggle with. You know why we struggle with sin? Because we carry around this great treasure, Scripture tells us, in these vessels of clay this human form. And so we are subject to all the temptations of the flesh. We're subject to all the weaknesses of the flesh. And because of that, we can fall. And that's why we have this great promise of confession, repentance, cleansing, and purifying. But brothers and sisters, seek God to give you victory. Now, It's interesting that it tells us that his cleansing came through the prayer of intercession on Moses' behalf, praying for his sister. How much time do we spend praying for ourselves, praying for things that we want, things that we think need to be changed, and how much time do we spend praying in intercession for others? You know, uh, years and years ago, someone gave me a formula for prayer 
and I wish I used it all the time. When you do, it's amazing how an hour of prayer can go by like that. And it's Acts, A-C-T-S, like the book of Acts. And so the first thing we should do in prayer is Acts, A, adoration. Thank you, Jesus, great God and Savior. You know, your name is above all other names. And then C, confession. God, forgive me, a sinner. Then T, thanksgiving. Thank you, Jesus, for all you've done. And then supplication. And when it comes to supplication, the primary prayers we should have are not just for our own needs, but for the needs of others. Consider others as above yourself, Scripture tells us. But how much time do we spend in supplication really praying for the needs of others? You know, we have, have our prayer list, and we say, oh, yeah, okay, uh, yeah, heal her, her, you know, ingrown toenail, and, Lord, make sure that this... Pray-. And we have all this little list, and we just kind of read through it like it's a shopping list. And I think it's wonderful to have a prayer journal. I think you should, and I think you should write prayer requests down. But when you're praying for these requests, let the Lord have that request come from your heart. Really praying from your heart for the person. Not just, okay, I've got to get through this list because I know if I'm a good Christian, I'm supposed to be praying for all these people and all these needs. Pray from your heart. And one of the things that's interesting here is notice that the sin here had a little bit of lasting effect because she was put outside the camp for seven days and they could not move until she was healed of the leprosy after the seven days were over. And, well, she was cleansed when Moses prayed, but there was a seven-day period of, of cleansing. And after that, she could go back to the camp and they could move on. To, and so we have to understand, we think our sin only affects us. It's not true. Our sin can affect others as well. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I have a bad temper. Oh, I'm so judgmental. Oh, I'm so this. Oh, I'm so that. And we think, oh, it's just me. It's my problem. No, it affects other people as well. Your attitude, the way you think, the way you feel has an effect on others. But the converse is also true. If you allow the love of God in Christ Jesus by his Holy Spirit to permeate your cardia, your heart, your inner man, and allow you to work and operate in the love of God, that also affects others in a very positive way. There's no God like our God. He's the creator of heaven and earth. And in his love and compassion for each one of us, he willingly wrapped himself in flesh, to come to this earth, to die a hideous death on the cross, and to take all our sin upon himself. And I've shared this with you before, but I can't share it enough. We really need to think about it. We, we use that as the theological understanding. Yeah, he took all of man's sin upon himself. He took all of man's sin, all of your indiv- individual sin, upon himself. The guilt of sin is death. And when we think of some of the sins we've committed, it's like, right? All of us. Every one of your individual sins, the worst sin you've ever committed, Jesus took upon himself, experiencing and feeling all the guilt and shame of that sin. It's the only time he cried out, like a lamb before his shearer is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. The only time he cried out 
was at that moment when all of our sin was put upon him. And he cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22. It's the only time he cried out. Only time. He took our sin. He took my sin. Every horrible, filthy sin I've ever committed. And he's taken it from me as far as the east is from the west and remembers it no more. And that's why, brothers and sisters, as believers, we always have to keep moving on. Your sin's been forgiven. Move on. Get up. Move on. You know, we oftentimes think, well, I need to lay down here and be beaten and beaten over and over. No, get back up and move on. Follow Jesus. Follow the Lord. Be useful to him because he loves you more than you can even understand. You do not have the capability of understanding his love. You really don't. But one day you will. Do you ever think about when we get to heaven? Read Revelation. After the rapture, and we're standing before the throne, we're all praising and singing the Lord, you know, singing to the Lord. And so many of us say, Well, wouldn't we get bored? No. You know, no, you won't. I mean, you're going to, going to be without all the entrapments of the flesh in this world. And you're going to be free, free in Jesus, in your white robes, standing there praising God. Wow, what a glorious day it'll be. When we all get to heaven, what a glorious day it will be. Father, we thank you so much for your love and for your word and the way it encourages us. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that we would come to understand that we are sinners, but there is a cure for sin, and it's Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that we would recognize that we're living in the last days, and living in these last days should cause us all the more to come together to serve and to worship you. And I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen and amen. God bless you, my friends.